This is your host, Brian again, and with me is... Dolapa. And I just wanted people to just see me for who I was, and I felt like who I was wasn't right. We literally have quite a competition in the class. Tell you my voice. I know you miss my voice. I'm a big guy. I mean, a legend in the community. I will always assure of who I am. It's weird that I would feel phony, like, embracing something that is actually just, like, true to me. Johnny just come podcast. You just Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Johnny, Johnny Just, Just Calm Podcast. Podcast. I mean, this is episode six, Brian. Six. I feel like a grandpa, you know? I mean, <laughs> we've been in this for a minute. Like, nobody can say, like, six weeks from now, as we continue to release this, we're already in 2022. <laughs> like, nobody should say that we're not serious. We're very serious. I was actually thinking about it the other day. Like, by the time our, like, Independence Day episode releases, It'll be like December, <laughs> but it's all good still. <laughs> it's all about consistency. We were doing this for you, y'all. But um, man, welcome back to another week, a new episode. We're here with Zucora. Please, round of applause. Warm welcome, warm welcome, warm welcome. Zucora, go ahead, introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Zucora Stevens, and I'm here with the law firm, Brian. Um, what should I talk about? Um, you know the big, the big things. You know, what do, what do you want the people to know about you so they can get a good gauge? You know, they can only hear your voice. Right. They can't see how good you look, to <laughs> but they can't understand. She's a serious, she looks like a corporate woman. Like she looks like a lawyer. Like, I know, like, like <laughs> she looks like I can't be saying anything before I, you know, I get served. You know, I, she actually looks really professional. Thank what you, is that TV you. show with um, Gabrielle Union? Be Mary Jane. Mary Jane. Yeah, you give me Be Mary Jane vibes. Okay, but go ahead. That's a compliment. I'll take mm-hmm. it. Um, but yes, I am Zakora. Um, I'm from Houston, Texas. Right now, I'm in medical school. Um, I went to UT where I studied nutrition, and I am the eldest of six kids. So you know, yeah. Um, in my free time, I really do enjoy painting and just hanging out with friends, and you know, just hanging out, chilling. That's what's up. I actually didn't know you I, were one of six. No, no. The way, the way it also blew my mind too, but you know, I don't want to be too surprised because... <laughs> no, but yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, I have two brothers and three sisters and I'm the eldest. I'm wow. The eldest, yeah. mm-hmm. That's a different kind of like sibling, like, you know, like, that's what, cause I just, it's like, when you have more siblings like that, I feel like you really like, your leadership skills are different. I feel like you like, you really, because you have to understand everyone in a way that's mm-hmm. like, it's not like having like one sibling, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like yeah and it also comes with a lot of pressure too because like in a way like i would say that i had responsibilities Mm -hmm. that i feel like a lot of people don't have Mm -hmm. um because i was the eldest daughter too so yeah the second mom essentially Mm -hmm. yeah i would imagine yeah but yeah that is that wow so you're the oldest you're the oldest Mm -hmm. you know i don't like oldest you guys are crazy (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) i feel like Every way it goes, being a middle child, it's um, it's a struggle. But, mm-hmm. but actually, why, I feel for you. Why do you think so? The only thing that y'all have is like, oh, I'm the first one to do it. <laughs> but there's a lot of also a lot of pressure if the first person isn't as you know hitting the ball, so it'll be like, um, uh-huh. well, you're next. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Because hmm. I feel like personally, as the eldest, I really crave or I really crave to having like 
an elder brother mm. or elder sister that would have shown me the way because I really felt yeah. like I was just trial and error. Yeah. There was so much pressure <laughs> to be perfect yeah. or have to yeah. be by example. And it's like, nah, I want to just like mm-hmm. be normal. Yeah. yeah. So. And also too, because you're a child of an immigrant too, so you're actually yeah. Yeah. some of the first things yeah. in the family in mm-hmm. a new place. It does feel sometimes like you're like a guinea pig where mm-hmm. like everything is kind of like being tried on you. Like, mm-hmm. like you, see, you, de- you see everything first, you try everything first. And sometimes I also feel like it almost in a way takes from your childhood. Obviously, also gives too because you know you learn a lot. But I also feel like you have to step up your game real quick. Like I remember when I was like, I was definitely still a child, and I was trying to play with my brother. I was like doing like horse horse rides with my brother. What not? Mm-hmm. My mom was like, "Look at you at your big age." Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, "Gonna like, <laughs> be a kid? What's the big age? Seven years old? <laughs> you know?" <laughs> but it's like. You know, you can't be doing crazy stuff anymore because, you know, people are looking at, up to you at this point. So it's like, you know, it's a... Yeah. I feel you. I, and, but I do feel you definitely on the oldest girl. Like, everybody's in order. Everybody line up. I feel like a military... Like, I really... <laughs> I trained them. <laughs> oh, damn. Wait, but before we get too much into it, Tolapo, how are you doing? Um, I'm good. So... It's actually, we skipped last week. We didn't mm-hmm. see each other last week because... Um, First time off, you know, yeah. being our own bosses. Yeah, I know. We off. can... Owning the business. Somebody sponsor us. Sponsor um, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> me. Um, but it was a good week. You know, the same old tiredness, but I wasn't as tired this week as I was, I don't know if it was two weeks ago. I feel like I was out of commission. I was like... <laughs> And that's how I used to feel too sometimes in undergrad, like where I feel like I couldn't do anything. Once I left that building and I got home, I used to be like, no, it's 3 p.m., but it's 10 p.m. And I was just like, well, that's got to sleep. But um, I feel good that that kind of passed. But I'd be wondering, I'm like, should I check my lipid panel? What's going on? Like my vitamins? But um, it was a good week overall. I'm not going to lie. I can't complain. Nice, nice, nice. What about you, Zakora? Um... I was saying earlier to this week was long. Um, I feel like on any given week I go through many different emotions and this week in particular, I felt emotionally heavy. Um, I felt tired, I felt excited. Um, I felt happy at times. And it's, it's, it's interesting because being in medical school, like we have these, these really heavy conversations in class and then having to go straight into the next lecture where we're learning about science classes, mm-hmm. if it's weird yeah. to be going from one emotion to the next. Yeah. But yeah, I feel many things. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, <clears throat> in my time away this last week, um, I went to Dallas actually to see my family. Um, for all of you that have been keeping track, you know, neuro is in the past. So <laughs> rather can breathe. <laughs> I know. Um, so it was just really nice being back home. I didn't really do much. I just like laid, laid in bed and just like watched TV, which was nice. Really, really nice. Watch football, you know, really, really nice. Um, I spent some time just like doing maintenance stuff, like taking care of things and whatnot. I did all that maintenance when I came back and then my car had it, but I did my car had to hala. It's so annoying. Like, I literally spent the whole Saturday trying to change my tires and then came back to a non functioning AC. So, your boy, I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I know, it's like, what was the point? The lungs took a hit. You know, like, what was, I was fixing the wrong thing. <laughs> I cannot be fixing my AC. You know? um, but, 
the week's been interesting we've been doing psych just chill i guess it's been uh, it's not been like near so it's been it's been cool um but yeah just you know i guess it just it's just it's interesting because like it's almost like because i'm not doing near anymore i always feel like i have more time than i used to and i almost feel bad of having more time than i used to mm-hmm. and having to like realize teach myself that like newer was a different kind of beast and now mm-hmm. i'm not doing that i I can use that time for some other things or just relax mm-hmm. and not have to feel bad for having time, which yeah. is so crazy because I haven't had time for seven weeks. So it mm-hmm. feels weird now to have time. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> I think overall, we're doing pretty good. We're getting yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so. God is good, Sha. Okay, so we're going to go ahead, get into the nitty gritty of what we are here to talk to um Zakora about um go ahead. right so beginning Zakora mm-hmm. how would you describe to us and to our wonderful listeners to the JJC podcast how would you describe your social group my social group um I would describe them as leaders okay um most of my friends we're talking about friends right? yeah, yeah most of my friends are women mm-hmm. um I think most of my close friendships are women yes and um, they are, for the most part, black or Nigerian. Um, and we're all just doing things that are different, but innovative in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of us. Yeah. Some of us are into like healthcare, others are doing things in law, others are doing things in creativity. So it's really just interesting to see how we've been growing because a lot of my friends, I've known them since I was in middle school. And so to see us like develop and grow has been amazing mm-hmm. because we're we've not only known each other for more than ten years now, wow. and even friends that I've known since college. Like it's it's interesting to see how our friendship has gotten more deeper mm-hmm. since we first met back in twenty sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to think about time because like we're now in the year twenty twenty one, and I'm just like now we're getting into the age where like. Now people are getting married. People are starting like really yeah. big like yeah. milestones life, in their life lives, right? Moves. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but has that has like I guess in terms of you said your friends are mainly women, Nigerian, mm-hmm. um, and definitely people of like I guess like um, very high achievers with kind of the goals they're pursuing, mm-hmm. right? Has that always? Do you think that was a very personal decision from like onset, or do you think it just happened to be that you just naturally gravitated towards those people? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that I just naturally gravitate towards. I don't think that I'm like intentionally saying, oh, I'm I'm going to only be friends with these kinds of people. It's Mm -hmm. just that these are who I feel at home with. These are people that I feel myself with. So, yeah. And for the most part, I think that most of my friends are tending on the on the spectrum of being like high achievers or trying to, you know, do the next best thing. Yeah. Did your parents ever say anything about that? Because my parents definitely <laughs> said stuff like that. They'd be like, oh, yeah, Lois got into Harvard. They're like, Dog, where did you find these people from? <laughs> <laughs> She's no. like, I don't know. Like, my, I don't know. Have your parents ever commented on that? I think so. Yes, yes. Because some of them are doing things that are not even in this country. Like, they're mm-hmm. flying out to, wow. like, London to mm-hmm. do certain things. And they're like, uh, why is she going to London to do whatever? But it's mm-hmm. like you... Their brain can't really fathom that because they're used to something else. Yeah, so, yeah, I do get those kinds of comments, but I'm proud. I'm very proud of my yeah. friends. <laughs> I'm very proud. I think um, growing up, 
and I'm sure every Nigerian kid has probably heard this song. Most Nigerian kids have heard this. How they always used to say, you know, like better seen feathers flock together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like growing up, I I don't know, I, me and myself, I was always just trying to just like I was like that's not true. You know, I have a bunch of friends who you know aren't as like academically brilliant, but they have other strong suits. I have friends who you know don't like this, and I, you know, um. And I think I'd always like try my best to like dispute that because I did hang around I think more diverse people when I was younger. Um, but honestly, I think I'm coming to a point now where I just I feel like it's like true. Like I do feel like, despite what I thought, when I actually think about it, mm-hmm. while those, those people were not like those people that I saw as friends were not like necessarily maybe academically brilliant, which is what I was maybe looking at, or maybe mm-hmm. hadn't have the exact same, like goals as myself mm-hmm. i think if uh, we had unifying things where whatever it is they were chasing they were chasing it seriously mm-hmm. or maybe their upbringing was very similar to mine exactly or maybe like their personalities and th- and their principles were also very similar to mine mm-hmm. and so it's like i do think that like it's very interesting because your friends really do matter a lot you know mm-hmm. like a lot of things that we even end up getting is also from our friends too mm-hmm. you know our perceptions in life our principles even the opportunities we get too, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And what about yours? What 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 have your your what's what has yours uh, relationship with that? I guess quote or idea been. Um, I'm not gonna lie. There's been times when my parents have been like, "You can't be friends with this person." Really? Like, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, man, you know, I love them. They're cool. We hang out in the same spaces and stuff like that." Like, I remember there was I was having a birthday party, and I remember there was one girl that I knew from track and field. And she was pregnant, like, in high school. And, um, you know, when you're cool with somebody, that still doesn't matter to you. It's like, yeah. you know, it's your parents that really mostly care and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I'm inviting these people to my birthday party. And they're like, uh-uh, you can't invite that girl. Why are you, also, why are you still hanging out with her? And I'm like, because she's nice, she's cool. Mm-hmm. We get along and stuff like that. And so I think your parents also play a big role on it. But then also, too, sometimes when I looked around myself... Um, the difference between undergrad was that there was plenty of Nigerians around to be friends with. Really? When I was in um, high school, I was the only Nigerian in my school or self-identifying. You know the ones that are hiding behind that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Everybody else like, my name is Juwan. And I'm like, the way I saw the name, oh, no, I Juwan. And I was like, the day I saw that on graduation, I was like, oh. So you're a liar. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't the only one. But, um. So when I looked around me, I realized that, like you said, it was like those values or the things that we had in common. Yeah. Like, um, again, none of my friends were Nigerian, so they're either black, white, Hispanic, you know, came from similar in the sense of like maybe similar socioeconomic background, um, similar households, um, similar aspirations and stuff. So it's definitely birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. I have to say my experience was definitely opposite from that because um like from the first 10 years of my life I, I lived in like southwest Houston and my elementary school was like predominantly black and Hispanic so mm-hmm. all of my friends were black mm-hmm. and Hispanic and then when I moved out to Richmond it became more diverse but even then even then most of my friends were African or Nigerian like yeah. And it's because, like, looking back, it's not because I was like, oh, I'm only going to be friends with Nigerians, but it's more so, y'all, I can relate to you guys. We have yeah. this, we have similar um, 
upbringings our parents have similar parenting styles they have similar beliefs like we can relate Mm -hmm. um if i say i can't come outside today you understand why if i say (laughs) i can't come out to the movies next weekend you understand why and same thing happened in high school like most of my friends were nigerian or black and it's not because like again i only hung out i only wanted to be friends with them it's it's more so like we just related to one another Mm -hmm. so yeah and even in college, because college, UT, you know, it's a PWI. We have we have the whites, we have the blacks, we have everybody there. Yeah. But even then, yeah. even then, most of my friends were um, black or Nigerian, and you know, so on and so forth. And I really felt, I don't know, UT was interesting because it being a PWI, in some ways, like during the weeks, like it would feel isolating sometimes mm-hmm. because you go to a big classroom you're one of like 10 black people in a 500 person class and then you go back to your dorm room and it's like okay that was interesting (laughs) and then you still have but my saving grace was things like bhpo Mm -hmm. or asa where i can come to these meetings every other week and be like hey my people are here Mm -hmm. so yeah I, I agree with that. It can definitely be isolating. Sometimes yeah. you can go through a whole day at UT and be like, did I talk to anybody today? Literally. And they're everywhere. People are everywhere, but you didn't talk to nobody. Yeah. Until you get to that VOA meeting or you get yeah. to that ASA meeting and it's like, wow, dang, I really spent this whole day in my little bubble. You know? Yeah. Um, would you say that, because you already described um, your elementary experience, your middle school, high school um, college and then now that you're in medical school and even in like other diverse spaces where your friends aren't there do you still see yourself naturally gravitating to people who are similar to you hmm. I would say medical school is a little bit different um, because my medical school class is diverse um, and it's not just black people there um, I feel like the reason why it's different is because we spend so much time together mm-hmm. um, I'm in a way forced to have a deeper relationship with people that don't look like me um more than i ever have in my life honestly because at ut like still i can go to class then go about my business i don't have to stay with you and have these discussions that i have now in medical school and i i'm not gonna lie i do enjoy i do enjoy getting to like know people from a different perspective um yeah i think it's different in medical school Mm -hmm. it is different i I think i very much agree with that i think when i first um particularly when i first moved here um, I set up at Comedy College in Dallas, and I think part of the adjusting process was just like you know, like you know, I'm in this new place. All my friends are in Nigeria, like an entire. You know how you say you have like friends that you know for ten years. Mm-hmm. I actually can't say that anymore mm-hmm. because, like, all the friends I made in high in, in high school, usually you go to university with them and then continue that friendship for a long time. I still yes, I still consider them to be my friends. But it's like I haven't been able to build that kind of friendship because they're all in a different country. Yeah. So coming into community college, I was like, oof, I literally don't know anyone. That's me. I start from scratch. Um, and I think for a while, you try your best to keep in contact with people that you left behind mm-hmm. in, in a different country. Um, but then it's just kind of hard. And you and you, you can't live in two worlds at the same time, exactly. you know? Like, you actually have to pick one, mm-hmm. you know? Or you just, like, stick out, like, a sore thumb in the other. Um, and so I had to literally find friends. And so I feel like... Like the first semester with life and everything happening, I felt like I wasn't really, I didn't really make as much friends. I mean, I think it was mainly because the people I was like hanging around with, one, everyone seemed to have clicks. Everyone really seemed mm-hmm. to know people prior to coming to community college. Um, and then I think it wasn't until like really the end of my first semester, I met like my first like Nigerian like friend. 
and I met that one person and then I met another Nigerian friend, another Nigerian friend, a Cameroonian, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, like, the circle was just, like, growing bigger and bigger and bigger, <laughs> you know? And we were all just, like, also, like, new immigrants as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that, that honestly just, like, changed my entire, like, community college experience. I went from, like, being, because I felt like I was, like, becoming a very quiet person and I'm not really a very quiet person like that. I became a very quiet person. I became a very, like, shelled in person. Like, I'll be very quiet in school and I'll just go back home and then I'll finally be myself again. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started building those friendships, it built my confidence up. And I think it really, honestly, just, like, led the trajectory of, like, allowing me to do other things on campus and actually being myself and actually being productive. Mm-hmm. You know, having those people that I knew knew me, understood me, you know, knew where I was from. I didn't have to explain things. My accent wasn't a, wasn't a discussion anymore. You know, like, where I'm, I was from wasn't, like, a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I remember one time, like, when I was trying to make friends initially when I first came, um, I was talking to this to this um, girl and she was talking about how she was we're talking about it was a group of us we're talking about how Drake was coming to town and I was like oh my god Drake is coming to town and she was like how do you know who Drake is oh do you always listen to Drake <laughs> she was like do you always listen to Drake in Nigeria oh my god <laughs> and I was like wait what I was so confused um, but like you, you don't have those kind of conversations when you are you know with your own people and I think mm-hmm. it's just a lot easier um, and whatnot. and I felt like moving on to UT, I then found a lot more of, you know, you just, it, the same, almost, first of all, basically my entire circle moved with me anyway. Mm-hmm. We all moved to UT anyway. And then you just like, find more people. And I think it's like, it's not as if it's like, all I want is black friends. Mm-hmm. I just think like one, having black friends or Nigerian friends or African friends, it's always a good foundation mm-hmm. because then you, once you do feel comfortable in yourself, it gives you that springboard to then search out other friendships and search out other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really just helped me build my self-confidence and build myself here. Um, but I would agree, in medical school, I would say, um, it hasn't, one, there are a lot of fewer black people here anyway. Um, but there, I think we're also like, I'm also in a situation where, you know, my roommate isn't black. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the pandemic too, you're, you're also forced into smaller circles, sometimes at a level of your own choosing. And I did find myself in spaces where I wasn't around a lot of black people too. But I also feel like there's also like a power and there's a, a lot of things you learn mm-hmm. by being in those spaces that you naturally might, might not necessarily find yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming out of the, oh, I guess we're still in the pandemic, but like coming out of like lockdown, for example, mm-hmm. I think I learned something that, some things that I would probably never have learned if I was, you know, it, if I hadn't ever been forced in that situation. But I, I do think that, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, the foundation always has to be coming back home because it, it gives you a strength to then go outside, if that makes sense. But. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel like when it comes to making friends with people that look like you and relate to you, it's just less work, you yes. know? Um, when, I'm not going to lie. When it comes to certain demographics of people, I find myself having to, like, figure out what part of myself am I going to have to express here? Like, but when I'm like, what am I saying? When I'm saying what I'm saying, do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you understand my reference? But, (laughs) you know, it's not the same whenever you're with your people. They understand what, they understand it without you having to do all this explanation. So I really feel like it's less work and I agree. Having that foundation makes it easier to move on to make other friends with other people. I think especially even like, at least for people like me, like my humor is completely Af- completely Nigerian. Like, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not actually, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a comedian. I'm not a very funny person in general. But I feel like the humor that I do have mm-hmm. is very Nigerian. Yeah. So I just think it's always very awkward when I was like not with black people or like not Nigerian people and like 
it just like it completely sees like a, a, an entire aspect of who I am, and it just mm-hmm. becomes this person who doesn't even make jokes. When in reality, all I want to say is something funny. But you know, so it's, yeah, yeah. But um, I guess is it? So we've been talking about this, but I guess I mean, it right now for you, given the fact that you've already established all these things, is it still important for you to have like particularly Nigerian friends, and why or why not? Hmm. I want to say yes. Okay. Because as far as my identity goes, like who I am as a person, like my Nigerian culture is a big part of who I am. So it's important that people that I care about or that I'm keeping in contact, um, in constant contact with can relate to that part of who I am. Um, it is not by force that all of my relationships are with Nigerian people, but it is important that at least some of them that are, you know, past surface level are, you know. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about Etolabs? Um, I would say that for a long time that it wasn't necessarily that important to me just mm-hmm. because of, like what I said where I was growing up that I didn't have too many Nigerians around me. Um, but then when I felt like when I got to UT, it just became more natural to be part of those spaces and be in those um, groups. And you know, too, you know, your Nigerian church too that you always go to too that mm-hmm. they're kind of like your cousins and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um I think it's for every culture. Every culture, you kind of have those people that you really relate to, the people that are going to be, you know, the aunts and uncles to your children one day. Um, The people that you can really talk deeply about things that are concerning to you. You can even have conversations, some conversations that you can't have outside, that you feel comfortable having with that person um, or with those people. Um, And, you know, some of us do, like, some people don't have siblings. Some people don't have close relationships with their siblings. So I think that, it's an extension of your family too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you kind of cross those lines, and so I do think it's um, important to me. Uh, but I've seen people thrive in different spaces. Like my brother, I don't know if he has one Nigerian friend, but <laughs> I envied him in the sense that he had such a diverse group of yeah. friends. Like you can pick them from every culture, you'll find them, and I think it's enriching. Um, and I do want to get better about creating those deeper relationships because always it's just a you know surface yeah. friendship that I usually have with people who are not as similar to me. But um, shout out to my two white friends I've had. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't made a new white best friend in forever, bro. <laughs> no, I, I'd agree. I think my cousin was like, it's like that where he like, bro, he has friends from everywhere. Um, oh yeah, Obina. I know, bro. Shout out Obina. He, I went to his birthday party. I was like, whoa. I, me too. I was surprised. <laughs> I was like, wait, what's going on here? You know, but like, um, and that's something I've always looked at. I've always been like, wow, because I do think that like, I think that experience in community college really shaped, um, like my perception of friendship or a perception of like chasing down friendship, because. I just felt I just felt very not completely myself mm-hmm. so that when I once I did find the people that allowed me to be completely myself I just in some way just naturally always gravitated towards them because I knew that you know like I wouldn't have to be just one aspect of myself mm-hmm. and I could just be my complete self um but I also think that in general I just feel like being an immigrant or first generation second generation third generation um in many ways you're you're always a minority um and i and and i just think having a community is so important you know like like yes we're not home you know but like there um there is enough of us here Mm -hmm. to still feel at home and having that community that relationship with people of similar background where you can still like 
celebrate your culture and when i'm talking about food or language or dance or music i don't need to explain to you like we can actually appreciate it as we would back home mm-hmm. um and that's one thing i've really ha- um, enjoyed about having nigerian friends is maintaining that community because for me growing up all i knew was you know that i was nigerian and i think one thing that also helps is so i grew up in abuja right um and i think one of the goals of the creation of abuja was to in so many in so many ways like promote the idea of being nigerian and i guess try to eliminate tribalism which is an argument for another day mm-hmm. um but i think <laughs> but i think in present day like I, I think being an immigrant in many ways those issues or those things that used to be issues back home it's kind of like stripped away like mm-hmm. you're just nigerian you mm-hmm. know like i have a lot like you're yoruba i'm Igbo. you know somebody else could be hausa it actually it absolutely doesn't matter like no one gives a hoot you know mm-hmm. or just nigerian and i think that in many ways even like just like betters the experience too because I've learned so much about Yoruba culture from you than I even learned when I was in Nigeria, you know? And I just think that's something that I've really, really just, like, enjoyed, you know, while I've been here, I would say. Yeah. That's cool. I love it. Um, I wanted to ask something, because well, it's not really something, it's a question I had, because um, you know how you were talking about your brother? Yeah. He has this huge, diverse group of friends. All of my life... <laughs> My friends have pretty much just been black. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm about to go to UT. It's a PWI. People are there from mm. everywhere. Yeah. Literally everywhere. So I should be able to make friends of from any different group. But still, I came out of UT with, <laughs> <laughs> with black friends. And so I question, I still question, like, does that mean that maybe I'm not adaptable? What is, mm. like, why, why is it that even with me being surrounded with 50,000 other people <laughs> that do not look like me, I still came out of UT with... Um, friends that look like that look like me. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that, but that's just a question that I had to myself. It, I think it's very interesting because I think just like I was saying, my cousin that had like a very diverse group of friends. Mm. I think Dolak would even think of my cousin when she first met him either. Um, but I do feel like ha- having seen him and seeing him in his element with them, and seeing him be his complete self with them too. Um, I think I always just questioned it too, just like you did. Like, why do I? only ever gravitate towards black people and not just black people too african people too mm-hmm. um and i really always questioned it and i really just i like, felt like because part of my excitement when i was moving here was i was really psyched about the whole thing that wow i'm coming to america i'm gonna be able to meet so many people from so many different cultures and we need to interact with people that you know when, when you think about it right like the fact that like as a nigerian like I, like you see you like, you see certain cultures yes but how did you see someone from from Nepal or how did you see someone from you know from some countries some countries you see more often than others you know so I was really really hyped about seeing all that and I for me I was like wow I did all I moved from Nigeria just to come here and still hang out with just black people um and I really I think I really I felt bad about it for a while because I just felt like you know it doesn't mean I'm not adaptive or doesn't mean that like I'm just like very like strong into like looking too much into my own culture but I think I kind of like saw how I don't think it's like if I don't think it's like we have a personal thing against it. I think looking at how we are in med school now and with the way now that like we have 
given given the right circumstances and given the situation where like now my roommate is not even black you know and because i really have to work with people and we have to talk more we have more in common now i realize now that it's, it's more of a thing of commonality mm-hmm. than even like culture because now i literally talk to my roommate all the time and we have a very good time together and we're going to be roommates for the next four years by god's grace you know and i have a lot of friends that aren't black but now because we all we have a common goal we're in medical together we have similar interactions um it doesn't seem forced it doesn't seem like i have to work harder Mm. um to fit in it doesn't i also don't need to hide who i am because you know we 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 work together all the time and you get to see who i am completely you know it just seems a bit more natural and organic Mm um i think it just like works out yeah yeah i think it's also too just like you said, the spaces that you're in, um, like my brother, he was part of like a Bible study and that Bible study happened to be very diverse. Mm. And, you know, of course their love of God is what brought them together and yeah. made them feel a little bit closer and they're able to, you know, have the small group discussions and stuff like that. But people like us, we'll still find our way in a black Bible study. <laughs> no, no, literally. <laughs> hey, then, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I guess you actually have to be intentional about it in some type of way but also when i think about um my friends again who aren't black um they just they're themselves completely in front of me and i myself completely in front of them like one of them i consider could basically be a cousin like Uh just because you know them for so long and you've been to their house you've been to your house and you know the parents will come around when we have our african parties Uh and stuff like that and enjoy themselves so i think it's just about allowing the other person to fully be themselves and you also be able to be because that's what we yeah. are looking for in our Nigerian friends exactly right? so it's like two people just have to be willing to do that anytime I feel any pushback on my jokes I'm like you know what <laughs> <clears throat> it's okay yeah like, but yeah, yeah being able to be unapologetic, unapologetically yourself without having to look back and you know like not having to say something and be like I hope they understood the context mm-hmm. behind that you know like <laughs> Imagine you're in medical school and you said, ah, I can't come and kill myself. Yeah. And then so the what they say wrongly. <laughs> oh, my thing. <laughs> you're going to hear someone, uh, Dr. Horn wants to talk to you. <laughs> Sometimes actually thinking like, am I an evil, mean person? What? You know the stuff that I say to Brian that I can just gist with him and joke, like, you oh, know, yeah. be a little playful. <laughs> and, and somebody's like, wow, Delapo, why would you say that? And I'm like, wow. <laughs> to me, that was light, you know? <laughs> Light banter, you know, but I don't even know what I can say. You know what I can say. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what, forget it. I'll just shut oh, up. But would you say that it's necessarily wrong to want to be in your circles? Because sometimes I have to think outside of myself. If I'm a white person said, you know what, ain't no, ain't no other culture. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of wrong, right? Okay, but let's think about the context of history. 100%. Because okay? so, no, context is also important. I personally don't think it's wrong for me to say that most of my friends are black, Nigerian, African, whatever. Um, I think where it would be wrong is if I said, okay, I am not willing to make mm. friends with anybody else. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm not willing to make friends. My issue is that for the for the majority of my life, I haven't been able to relate. Mm-hmm. And because I haven't been able to relate, I didn't care too much to force myself into a friendship with someone that doesn't look like me. Mm-hmm. But like I said, now that, I'm, now that we're in medical school now and we spend so much time with other people, it feels more organic like you were saying like yeah. it feels natural it doesn't feel like i'm forcing these relationships so yeah i think it'd be wrong if i'm like oh yeah this y'all good. I, nah, I'm just <laughs> but yeah because like you said if it was a different mm-mm. yeah mm-hmm. i think that's what it is i don't think it's wrong to 
gravitate towards a certain kind of people. I think also, like, I think sometimes we don't deep the word minority enough. Like, when you are, when you say, like, we are a minority, essentially, like, the world is, like, this, this country is not built with us in mind. Mm-hmm. The country is built with the majority in mind. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, everything is kind of geared towards their culture and their way of being. And so I feel like sometimes, like, when I feel bad that all my friends, like a majority of my friends are African or black, I have to also remind myself that like, because I am a minority here, I have to actually make a very conscious effort Mm -hmm. to build a semblance of my own world Mm -hmm. in this country because no one's going to do it for me. No one's going to create a Nigerian community for me, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm as a minority, my concerns or my goals or my emotions or feelings is not the priority because you can't and also you have to think about it too you know like when you when you try to make a project to me for, for when you try to do something for people you have to get what most people want not what everything because sometimes you, you can never make everyone happy you know so i think it's also my responsibility to make my own community and so when my friends are mini black i'm like yeah you know like i have to be like yeah like because these are the same people when we all have children mm-hmm. our children will play together and that's how we can keep our own culture. That's how, like, you know, like when, when we start saying, ah, Zukora, me, 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 me that my Igbo is one kind. You don't Igbo is, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe better than mine. No, it's not <laughs> the same. At least, when we say our, our kids can't speak Igbo, if we, if you know someone, if we have someone that teaches Igbo, we can all take our kids there. Yeah. We can, we, as a community, we can still practice our traditions. You can still do things that we find, like, important that you know to a regular person on the street doesn't find that important you know mm-hmm. like when Tolapo is talking about being Yoruba or even being Nigerian at least our kids aren't thinking about aren't thinking about being Nigerian as just my mom yeah mm-hmm. they're thinking about it as oh this is a no we no we yeah. are Nigerian mm-hmm. not my mom is Nigerian mm-hmm. not my dad is Nigerian you know and I feel like that's like because when you, you you do meet a lot of people here who like would genuinely say, oh my parents are African, but I'm not necessarily African, mm-hmm. you know, or my parents are Nigerian, but I'm not Nigerian. You can't necessarily blame them if they grew up in it. When you grow up in a community that is like completely American, mm-hmm. and your parents and like your parents' views and your views are like polar opposites, or you don't even like you can't even relate to that. Mm-hmm. They are, they're speaking their truth, you know. But it's like if you have that community, which is what I hope to have, and I know we will have because we have a lot of friends that are Nigerian. Mm-hmm when we have that community it's different they grow up as nigerians not children of nigerians mm-hmm. and, I, and that's something i really love um fevin always tells me about this with the Eritrean community they actually have act, like an actual like they actually physically meet and they physically and, and like not just like they also like their kids also have like you know how you go to church and you have like church like kids that um mm-hmm. the ch- children area too mm-hmm. they have stuff like that so they are constantly propagating or keeping their own like community. culture and community mm-hmm. intact. And honestly speaking, maybe that thing that maybe those things exist for Nigerians, but I don't know anyone that does that. I used to go to community meetings. Really? Yeah. Like from my dad's town. Mm-hmm. Like oh, in wow. the Here in Houston. Yeah. Oh no, we have it too. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you from in Nigeria? I'm from Awaka, Imo State. Yeah, there's definitely because even my parents they had their own like community meetings that they went to. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
scene. I need to fight. But no, but this is the thing. If you move to any Houston suburb, yeah, you have to drive because there are everybody else is in Southwest. <laughs> so that's why my we haven't gotten a long time. But it used to be so fun because everybody brings their kids. Yeah. you know? they're all yelling and doing their screaming downstairs, and we're all playing our games wow. upstairs. I'm so crying because you said screaming. That's was, exactly what's happening downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Just arguing over what not and what not. Mm-hmm. You know, I never but learned it's my so lesson. That, yeah, that they're passionate, not angry. <laughs> <laughs> I know, no, even till today, sometimes even I, I think I'm very guilty of it. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes when I speak, I think people think I'm upset. I'm actually not upset. I just, I just get passionate like that sometimes. We're becoming <laughs> our parents. I know. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I feel you. It's a lot of things to unpack about it when it comes to social groups and whatnot. And hopefully, we can kind of just reconcile it reconcile it as we even get more professional because who knows our circle might change again so okay so seeing as Ikora is a very multifaceted person you know we can't just talk about friendship all day long here <laughs> she has so much to offer to us um so we're gonna talk about something else that is very that we know that is very important to you um and I guess one thing I'd like to know is, do you feel like you're, because you, you studied nutrition, nutrition at UT, right? Mm-hmm. So do you feel like you your nutrition degree influenced how you view Nigerian cu- um, cuisines now? Mm, in a way, yes, but in a way, not so much. Because, um, so Nigerian cuisine, we know it's very good. You know, we have our jollof rice, we have mm-hmm. our goose soup, all these different things. Um, but my both of my parents are nurses, so growing okay. up, I already knew that some of the foods that we eat are not so much healthy. And I say healthy in a quotation marks. Mm-hmm. So y'all, y'all, can, y'all that cannot see me, I have quotation marks around healthy. Um, but my nutrition degree, I feel like it just made me more aware of what I'm putting into my body. Mm-hmm. It just made me more like aware. So if I choose to eat Chick-fil-A today, I know what I'm doing to myself. It's not that <laughs> I did it out of ignorance. Um, but I will say that my nutrition degree did not allow me to see um, Nigerian food from a culturally competent perspective, mm. because obviously the lifestyle the lifestyle that I live here in America is different from what I would live if I was living, living back in Nigeria. Yeah. So doing what I'm doing now, there's no need for me to be eating two cups of rice. <laughs> there's no need for me to be eating um, pound of yam and a goosey soup every night. But if I was living in Nigeria and I had a certain lifestyle, it makes sense why I would be eating yeah. that kind of food. So I think in a way it does, it has impacted how I see food, but I wouldn't say that it has given me a culturally competent lens because it was just talking about like the biochemistry of food yeah. and like food in terms of social determinants. So more so from an American perspective, not so much from a Nigerian perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would very much agree with that. I think honestly, for me, I, well, I, I also only took my first nutrition class like my last year at UT. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also didn't like, I just like took it as like oh wow like oh my god like I'm actually eating I, I just saw it as I am actually eating terribly <laughs> that's that's the shit I saw it I was like I was telling my mom I was like mommy how much salt are you putting in this do do you yeah that's what we do to ourselves mm-hmm. um and I was going on this whole rant you know how like you just like read one article and you come out and mm-hmm. you are Doctor Nahanakahara PhD mm-hmm. nutrition <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I. I, I was genuinely very convinced that, you know, like, oh my God, this is like, we're killing ourselves. Um, and it wasn't until this, last semester, this semester, I started like being more, in, it was first year of med school, actually, we had a course on, on, on it was a cardio course on sodium, actually, okay. again. 
Um, and so I just kind of like, I was like very intrigued by it and nutrition. And then I really kind of like got into like a whole nutrition thing with like our nutrition director at school, but no. And I started learning about nutrition, but not just nutrition, but nutrition with the, my, with also focusing on cultural competency. Mm-hmm. And I began to realize that one, one of the things that I feel like one reason why I struggle with the idea of nutrition and also feeling confident about what I'm eating. Because like bear in mind, like I said, I was like thinking I was eating terribly and I was gonna die soon. Mm-hmm. Um I began to realize that when I was thinking of healthy food, I was thinking of that one, you know that plastic plate <laughs> picture of like <laughs> those, <laughs> Chicken, the, yeah, the, I don't know if you all see it, but if you all Google healthy food, you'll probably find this on Google. It's like a plastic plate and it has like I swear dead ass vegetables like vegetables that look, that look like they haven't seen water in like two mm-hmm. days you know like, <laughs> like I know so I was literally thinking of that as healthy food and I was like well it seems like our last part is gonna have to be <laughs> it's gonna have to be shortened <laughs> because <laughs> I will not eat like <laughs> no and then but then but that also comes with the idea of like also being embarrassed to then say or when people are saying, I'm talking about health and diet and exercise, also not having the confidence to speak because you're like, what do I tell about? It's not it's about it's absolutely, it's not what I'm going to tell you, it's the healthy food I'm eating. But I think he did a, when I started learning more about the cultural competency aspect of it, I then began to realize that, wait, hold on. Mm-hmm. Like eating healthy is, this is literally comes down to what we've learned from when we're kids, mm-hmm. balanced diet. Hello. Mm-hmm. And a balanced diet, it's not the plastic plates with dead vegetables on it. <laughs> a balanced diet is literally like, like, how, okay, actually, how I fell in love with, with the nutrition and the idea and what the man was saying and the man himself was his, he asked this question in class. He was like, which of these are healthy foods? Mm-hmm. And I swear this man actually put, he said Nigerian food. He said um, it was Nigerian food and then like, three other countries. Mediterranean food was on there too, mm-hmm. and then two other countries. And obviously, you know, being in this world that we have today, the most natural thing for everyone to pick is Mediterranean food. Mm-hmm. And we all picked it, and we're all wrong because the answer was all these foods mm-hmm. are healthy foods. And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, yes, because every food has good food, has health, has like healthy food and not so healthy food. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, all he has, all it is, is balancing it. Mm-hmm. And you know, because when you think about when you say Nigerian food is unhealthy, all you're thinking about is you're saying if you're eating two cups of rice every day with mm-hmm. stew, or if you're eating amala and um and soup every single day. But then you forget that we have so much. We eat beans, mm-hmm. we eat soup, we eat vegetables, mm-hmm. we eat akara, we eat pap, we eat there's so we eat so much stuff that like if there's a problem with your health, it's not the food, it's how you are choosing to eat the food. Mm-hmm. I, I was mind blown, you know. Mm-hmm. Portion sizes, a whole different thing yeah. too, you know. Like, yes. I agree, and that's why I say I wouldn't say that my degree gave me like, I wouldn't say that it's, I wouldn't, I would just say it was really lacking in terms of cultural competency because, like you said, when you listed out the different types of foods, my first mind was to go to Mediterranean food, but it's because that's how we've been socialized to think that that is the healthiest food out there. Even the word healthy in itself is. Um, controversial yeah because like when we talk about health what does health even mean 
right? We're talking about your well-being. BMI. We're talking about what we're giving to our bodies to be able to function. And um, when we say healthy, like I said, eating certain things in a certain place may be good, whereas eating certain things in a different place may not be good. Because me, as a medical student, there's no need for me to be eating two cups of rice <laughs> with no vegetables when all I did was sit down at my computer for eight hours. <laughs> But if I'm doing like strenuous work somewhere every day, like of course, two cups of rice is not a bad idea. Um, but like you said, it all comes down to balance. It comes down to portion size, and it comes down to making sure your food. Two cups of rice keeps getting to me. Because if I'm not careful, I actually would go and swallow two cups of rice. <laughs> but um, I have a really interesting relationship with food because I like to eat like food is good and so when it comes to eating i like to cook my own food um my food is usually colorful i'm a savory over sweet person so mm, I'm, i feel like i'm getting off topic but um i like to cook lots of vegetables bell peppers and things like that so i feel like generally my my eating is on the healthier side healthier in quotation mm. marks again but um i think what i still struggle with right now is portion size because mm. You're not going to eat. Those, <laughs> I, those, those, those <laughs> ideal portion sizes are not fun. It's kind of hard. You know, it's hard, I swear. But the thing that does help is if you, like you said, you know, you supplement it with the vegetables. You know, mm-hmm. put something on the side. You'd be like, oh, <laughs> yesterday I was craving ramen noodles so bad. And really? I know they're so bad for you. But I went and bought one. And then, I, you know, make yourself feel better. All this broccoli. <laughs> <y'all>. <laughs> <laughs> Take the little twinge of the salt packet. You're like, okay, well. <laughs> I guess I ate ramen today or whatever. But um, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not going to lie. I've been seeing a lot more health issues pop up. Maybe because our parents and their our uncles and aunties are getting a little older. And I feel like I've noticed um, some health issues are coming up in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if y'all have noticed it or if you think... Because, you know, generally when you go to our lectures and whatnot... You'd be just feeling bad because everything is like black people, black people, black people, bottom of the barrel, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, dang. And then some part of you wants to be like, well, I mean, I'm also Nigerian, so maybe something's different. But I'm not going to lie. All this stuff is coming up in my own community, Mm -hmm. too. Um, When it comes to colon cancer, I started to see a lot of that now. Diabetes, Mm -hmm. high blood pressure. So what do y'all think? What have y'all been observing? I think I've I've been observing the same thing Um, because... Within the black community in general, I think that, um, I, from what I understand, diabetes and hypertension mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. have a really high prevalence in our community. And I think it's the same thing for Nigerians specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, if you take it a step further, mental health. Mm. I think mental health um, in the black community itself is already underreported. And I think that's also um, seen in our um, Nigerian community because of this culture of silence. Um, yeah. Nobody wants to come out and say, "Oh, I'm, I'm depressed. Struggling. I'm struggling with whatever this is." So, like, those are things that just continue to perpetuate. Mm-hmm. But I think that, yeah, I I agree. These are things that I'm starting to see. And mm-hmm. I think what it's not that it, that they're new. I yeah. think it's because as we get older, we're starting to become more aware of these things. Yeah. When we were kids, or when we, when, we, when we were younger, oh, this person died. We don't know why they died. Mm-hmm. They had diabetes or they had cancer. They had um, whatever. But now that we're getting older, we're starting to recognize that, oh, these are things that people are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think one thing um, particularly about this discussion that I think always gets to me is, you know how, like I said, um, you know, because of if, if, if healthy food is going to be that, that plate, plastic plate, vegetable, <laughs> you know, I felt like my life is going to drop naturally. Um, I think it's a mindset 
that a lot of people unconsciously or consciously jump on in reality jokes aside um i think it's one of those things where you're like okay we've already addressed the fact that yes black people do have some of these things you know if it's completely diet no way we don't think there are obviously a lot of things missing to that you know social determinants of health mm-hmm. economic status like the jobs we work and whatnot those things count too but also yes we also while our food is not inherently unhealthy probably also the way we consume our food might also be a problem yeah um but i think one of the reasons why um i think personally i feel like a lot of people struggle because diabetes is not a death sentence right mm. but i think the reason why a lot of people struggle with diabetes amongst the black population i would say is I think it still comes back down to the idea of healthy eating mm-hmm. because for a black person or an African person, you know, who is, who has diabetes and you go to the hospital for, for counseling and you, you, you know, you, you meet the endocrinologist and then you meet the nutritionist, mm-hmm. the, the, what you're asked to eat or what you're asked to stay away from eating is absolutely crazy because one, you're asked to eat to essentially because nutrition has been a, like, and and this is something that has been shared by other nutritionists. Then they're currently saying this now that nutrition has been built for white people, yeah, because it's a very white, like, what's it called, At, like a very white area, mm-hmm. and, and 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 in many ways, <laughs> it's one of those things where like you know imagine growing up as an Nigerian town and telling your parents you want to be a nutritionist, they probably won't take you seriously, right? Mm-hmm. And I think these little. This, 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 this mindset feeds into it because if you think about it now, most of the issues for a long time have been white people. And so a lot of the research that has been done has been for white people. When you think about the food they create as healthy food, it's a white people centered, right? Yeah. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, when you're then asked things to avoid eating, it's very culturally insensitive because you didn't ask to stop eating all your cultural, all your cultural food exactly. as if those things are naturally unhealthy when it's, that's not the case. And I think that really affects people, a lot of our parents and a lot of our pe- people our parents' age. Because I remember one time I was talking to um, talking to someone and it's like people find it hard, not just because, because you're asking them to, in bear in mind, these people are like 50 now mm-hmm. or 60. You're asking someone like who's 50 or 60 to completely change how they eat mm-hmm. and, uh, and completely adopt a new way of eating. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, when it comes to things that are things that are as abstract as principles, yeah. people find it hard to change at that age. More so, be able to change your way of eating. It's also because they're assuming that they're changing to the mainstream. It's like asking somebody who's Mediterranean to change to a Japanese diet. You know, that's, yeah. you know, it's like... <laughs> because it's, it's like vanilla. It's not vanilla. It's a culture within itself. Yeah. American food is a culture within itself. So it's like, it's kind of a big jump to make. It, it is a big jump to make. And I feel like people... People... People try, but I think it's just diff- one. It doesn't taste like what you're used to, mm-hmm. and it's just hard to keep up with. And I think that in many ways, just it's like you're you're going to hospital, but then you're like you can't even be completely honest with them. And even if you are, you're like I've tried this. You're listening, but you're not really listening because yeah. it's just not for you. And I think that in a way perpetuates issues. Like I have to, I just feel bad for people because it's like when you actually hear what they cannot eat anymore, and you're like almost asking yourself like, what can you then eat? You know, and I think it's one of those things where, like, if you could be culturally, if if you, if we had culturally competent um, nutritionists, and also an education that our food is not in, is is not inherently unhealthy, mm-hmm. then you can actually create plans and proper nutrition strategies and guidelines 
that can actually fit other people's cultures. And honestly speaking, I'm not out here expecting any white person or even a Hispanic person or even, you know, an Asian person to create that for us black people. It's going to be us because who else knows our food enough to do that? You know, we at some point are actually going to have to create our own food guidelines that would help our people because that's the only way we can get back on track. Like, we can get people to stick to their diets. And stick, because if, if, if your diet, I think you normally eat, you probably even think about it too bad. You know, it's like when you were a kid, like you probably didn't enjoy it completely, mm-hmm. but at least you were eating things you were used to, you know? Mm-hmm. This conversation that you're talking about right now is something that it comes up all the time whenever we're discussing counseling for patients who are dealing with hypertension or diabetes. And when we have to counsel them on like, okay, let's talk about your diet. It's like the issue of cultural competency comes up then too, because we can't just say, okay, go home and eat lettuce or go home and eat um, oranges because that's not what they're eating right if this person is living in a food desert where there's only a mcdonald's down the street or there's only um jack in the box there's no heb there's no walmart you telling them to go and eat lettuce is not helping the situation so there's so many moving parts there's so many moving parts that play into um into diet and and nutrition and honestly the whole thing can get so convoluted and just overwhelming at times but yeah, I, I think when it comes to nutrition, because nutrition itself is already a relatively new discipline. It's pretty new. And like you said, it's pretty much westernized. We think about it from a very western point of view. When we're in, when we're in school, we're being indoctrinated to think that this is how healthy eating looks. This is what healthy is, and this is what unhealthy and junk is, right? Because even like right now, I remember back in high school, whenever my dad was trying to eat healthier, he was still trying to eat his normal like Nigerian food. So he would eat his um, okra soup because okra is, is vegetables. Um, but then he, instead of eating regular pounded yam, he would modify it to be made out of oatmeal. My grandma does that yeah. too. <laughs> so I think that when we start, to, if, if we can start to have a better understanding of what each culture is eating, we can mm. modify it from there. So yes. we think, oh no, we're going to eat this and that is what we're going to eat. I think that'll be a better approach. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's a deep conversation, and there's a lot of, like you said, moving parts. Um, it's not too much of a transition, but I just wanted to talk about um, one of the short stories called Zakora because we have Zakora here, so, you know, my mind. Um, to talk about the short story um, Zakora by Chiamanda Adichie, and, um, you know, it's kind of touched on some of the subjects that we talked today about health mm-hmm. in the black community, in the Nigerian community. Um, it touched on subjects like illness and death and mm-hmm. abortions, pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, you read the story in full. Yeah. But I wanted to, and you're also a women's health advocate. Mm-hmm. I see you as that. So um, just wonder, like, as you read that short story, and I recommend it to everybody to read. Um, I'm halfway through, so don't say, oh, did they even read it before they recommended it? <laughs> I'm going to finish it this weekend. But... Um, is there anything that you feel passionate about, like that you read in there, or just in general um, that you like to talk about? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, I'm gonna start off by saying that when this book first came out last year, I was shook because, um, as many of you know, the name Zakora itself is not even common. I rarely have met another Zakora. Um, the ones that I know now are people like that have named their kids after me. So, like, mm-hmm. even in, in adulthood now, I don't know any one person who's named Zakora. So it's it was very like wow to see a whole book yeah. by this author, this famous author named after not after me, but 
with the same name as me. Your name's sick. Um, and even last night when I was reading the book and I first saw my name on the page and it wasn't like me, I was like, whoa. I was feeling like a sense of anxiety, like, okay, what is gonna be said about this person? Can I relate to her thoughts? And if I can't relate to her thoughts, like the whole world can see. It was almost like I'm being exposed. I don't, I don't know, it was weird. Um, but it was also interesting because her name is Zakora and like me, she she's giving birth well hold on i'm not giving birth it was interesting because i have a really big passion for women and maternal maternal health so it was interesting when the book first opens up she's in the maternity ward trying to give birth um yeah and i think there this book is it, a short story so um chimamanda didn't get to, to really dig into all the different parts that she wanted to to bring to bring to light, but I think some parts that I felt were interesting were the topic of infertility, um, motherhood, and sexual health. Um, infertility because her mother in the book, I'm gonna be spoiling some things mm -hmm. for you guys, sorry. But her mother in the book, she became infertile. She had to have an emergency hysterectomy. And when we think about motherhood and women, um, when it comes to women, motherhood is like this obligation it's a responsibility right mm -hmm. so to have that taken away from you i'm sure for her mom was very like traumatizing yeah. because at that moment in time she didn't get to have her son and in evil culture having a son is important so you can pass on the um family lineage family lineage so i thought that that was pretty interesting um and then there was a point in time in the book when she's talking about sex. And I think sex itself, we know sex is very taboo. We know that people don't like to talk about sex. Um, especially from a woman's point of view in the Nigerian culture. Because for women especially, like you should not be talking about sex. You should be a virgin until you become married. You should not even know about any of that. And I thought it was pretty interesting because um, she touched on like how... Um, when it comes to sex, people learn about it from the internet. Mm. And because people are learning about it from the internet, especially men um, when they're watching porn, um, there's not, there's this unreal expectation for what a woman's body is mm -hmm. supposed to look like. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Now it was, I don't know, but the way she writes, because we've all here written or read a story by her, yeah. um, and she's definitely an amazing um, author. Um, I remember something to that, like, I really was like, oh my gosh, she's... Yeah, so we've all read a story or a book by her. Um, I think she definitely has a very strong voice. Um, like, even when I was reading the first half um <laughs> when she was describing like the pain that she's feeling how just um annoyed she was i was mm -hmm. like this lady is like i feel her annoyance mm -hmm. like even in the midst of her um birthing pains but um infertility is a big subject too mm -hmm. honestly especially in the nigerian community just because i don't know if it's because of our culture of how mm -hmm. important it is to have a kid mm -hmm. um so maybe that's why it's so highlighted whenever mm -hmm. somebody isn't able to have a child mm -hmm. um but even miscarriages, like mm -hmm. the day I realized how many women I know have had a miscarriage mm -hmm. and how, you know, they've just been glossing over this stuff. Like these are traumatic stuff. Yeah. Very traumatic. Mm -hmm. And there's so much shame associated with it. Mm -hmm. There's so much shame that um, women feel from not being able to give birth to their own children. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's very traumatic to have had 
something that you thought would grow into your child growing in you and then for, for whatever reason it didn't it didn't come out so mm-hmm. yeah um even this book when the even the way it started off was wow because i remember my sophomore year at ut i took this class called fertility and reproduction and that was actually the first time i formally learned that black women have high rates of mortality and um, postpartum complications here in America. And I remember sitting in that class thinking, oh my God, I'm I'm a black woman. I want to be a mom. I want to have kids one day. Will I be one of these people, one of these women that, that will die when they give birth? Or will I have this crazy complication after I give birth? Will I want to have more children after giving birth? And so to see this Zakora in the book having also a traumatic experience with birth and then also having to go about that alone because she was abandoned. Okay, let me not say abandoned, but she was left by her her ex, and then even her mother, the one person that that, that is in the room with, with her that should be giving her comfort, is so emotionally guarded and unable to express emotion and yeah. love to her. Um, it was just crazy to see that because by the grace of God, that would not be my experience. But that yeah, was man. a that was a fear that I had mm-hmm. in that class when I was sitting there learning that black women die mm-hmm. um, at, at higher rates. So it, it was crazy reading that book last night because, wow. Yeah. So I definitely recommend it to um, anybody who's interested in the subject. I also um, recommend it to our male counterparts because there's also a lot to be learned. Um, we can't say, at, like she said in the book, at, at your big age, you, as a grown man, you can be ignorant about the woman's body mm-hmm. and what happens because you are somebody who's going to partake in the experience Mm -hmm. um, in that moment and afterwards. So um, definitely recommend it to anybody to read, anybody and everybody. Um, Brian, I don't know, do you have anything you would like to share when it comes to your exposure to women's health and the things that you've thought about concerning it? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I think Tramanda is and will always be one of the best writers ever. Like, um, I think starting off, like, growing up, I I think I wasn't always the biggest fan of reading novels, but I feel like my first book that I really loved reading was Purple Hibiscus by Miranda. And I think since then, it's just been like, um, I've just like absolutely loved that. It's unfortunate I haven't read Zakora yet. Um, but I think in regards to the women's, women's health, I think that's something that I have began to learn more in terms of like the medical field and less so in regards to the book. Um, and I just think it's such a very, it's a very difficult thing particularly living in America where a lot of black women are in, I guess it's just like, it just seems like we always seem to take the, the, the wrong end of the stick when it comes to statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really hard to see. Um, and I think like learning about stuff, for example, I was watching a movie the other day, um, and they were trying, it was, um, Downton Abbey, anyone who's seen it. And there's a scene on a woman who's trying to give birth, but she's having preeclampsia. Um, and it was just the hardest thing to watch, um, particularly because there was a whole story behind it, mostly with like physician trust and whatnot, and why it's always good to, as a physician, to make sure you uphold the trust between yourself and your patients, mm-hmm. because he had in some way lost their trust, and you could see how, you know, I as a medical student could, I was like, this woman has preeclampsia, like what is going on here, um, and just how difficult it is because, you know the woman was out of it. You know, she was, you know, she wasn't delirium, essentially. Her family, she was in a lot of pain. She was going through it. Her family was just like, how can we help her? And you can just imagine people who are 
who do not have the knowledge of what's going on, you just feel so powerless. Um, and I, I, I think for more than anything, what, what it just reminded me was as a physician, like my, my responsibility towards these people, it cannot be understated, you know, because mm-hmm. they honestly had no, the guy was just like, I want to help. I'm sorry. I want to help you. Selling her, I want to help you. I'm just, I want to help you. She was just like in so much pain. And then she finally started seizing, going into eclampsia, obviously. Um, and it was just so interesting because like, these are all things that could have been prevented. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those things where like, as an, as an average person, you don't know any of these things. I just, I just think it's very, it's very interesting because a lot of things that pertain to women, I do think it's like with education, it could be helped. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's so, it's like that, that, that education is not always present. Um, so it's just like, for me, it just reminds me always to just like, make sure I'm talking my game, make sure that I create an environment where people around me trust me mm-hmm. and just to do my best because like, it's really hard to watch more of these things sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm, as you were talking right now, I just was thinking back to the book. Um, and the book itself is a short story. So I really felt like she just had, she was only able to gloss over so many different topics because there's the topic of parenting. There's a topic of trauma, the topic of abortion. There's the topic of motherhood itself. There is the topic of like infertility, like we're talking about before. There's sex. And even back to the parenting thing, I just remember how like she literally giving birth and her mom is expecting her to suck up the pain. That can you imagine you're pushed? This is a vaginal delivery, not a C section yeah. where they gave you medication. This is a vaginal delivery, and your mom is looking at you give birth to your child, and your mom is making faces at you because you're screaming. Jeez. And so it made me think about like how sometimes, like when it comes to parents, like they appear to be these almost evil, unloving people, but it's because of their own traumas that they're yeah. they're kind of like reflecting that onto you. Um, and even back to the topic of sex now, I was thinking about like how so many times whenever we talk about sex, we're not learning about sex from our parents. I'm not, I'm not sure about y'all, but like I never learned about sex from my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never probably will talk about sex with my parents <laughs> because like that's just not the culture that we had. Um, and it's sad because I feel like when I get older and I have my own kids, I want my kids to learn about sex from me before they go out and have all of these misco- misconceptions and mm-hmm. misinformations about sex. Um, and yeah, even abortion, like the topic of abortion within marriage yeah. was brought up in this book. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. And even the power dynamic that can happen in mm-hmm. marriages because a man who has, who is the breadwinner and, and is making all the decisions and now the woman has no say, even to the point that she has no say over what happens to her body. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of important, heavy topics that were brushed over in the book. And I really wish the book was longer. I don't, I actually prefer it, I would have preferred that it wasn't a short story because I really feel like she just kind of like gave us like small teasers. You all think yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm just thinking about it in like deeper yeah. um, context. So yeah. I, th- I think it's so interesting. Like what you were saying, I was just like thinking back to, you know, the idea of like having conversations about sex. Mm-hmm. That's also something that's not happened in my household and probably will not happen. Um, and I just think it's like, it's almost like, it can't, so and the, the point she made about you know how she was referring to how men would like I, I one first of all I, I don't think it's just men I think how people would end up ending sure. end up looking mm-hmm. on because when you say men it almost creates like an angel like or a 
save me like a pure like a mm-hmm. little girl yeah. to women when you know there are women who also do things like that too you know it's everyone does you know so it's like i think when you say so i, I think when when in the book when you're referring to power people end up like looking to in the internet for advice on sex i think sometimes particularly thinking back to nigeria i think it's a failure of so many systems Mm-hmm. one our families and then two i also remember as a child um we i don't even know what happened because i because it was not it was never like a constant thing but there was a period where we had sex education classes mm-hmm. um and they put all the boys in one class and all the girls in one class and i just like remember and it's so funny actually because very recently com- a nigerian comedian made a skit about this but i remember having the, the conversation behind that sexual education class was don't have sex mm-hmm. um and you're speaking to a lot of because it was a mix there's a class of like you know a very wide range of people some of the people who are literally about the university mm-hmm. and you're just saying don't have sex and you're saying if you have sex this is what's going to happen to you mm-hmm. um just kind of like adding fear to mm-hmm. sex and then even when they did talk about sex or when they talk about puberty or when they talk about anything it was all very man-centered and I understand that we are a group of men sitting in that class, so I guess you're referring to us, but it just seemed like the entire conversation was just pivoting as to... almost seemed like it was a one-person event, mm-hmm. you know? Like you, I, I, it seemed like having sex was just the guy having the sex, and then anybody mm-hmm. else in that room was just happened to be there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's like, these are very important things, because if you think about it, the people who are teaching us about the sex are probably teaching us from their perspective of what sex is, you know. But if it was a serious enough situation, if 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 we as a group of people saw a serious enough situation, you would probably bring in someone who is who is learned about that matter. Like if I was gonna talk to you, if I if if a school was gonna have a conversation about okay, we want all our kids to be geologists, they will probably bring someone who knows about geology yeah but because i think they didn't see as they just saw that oh you know i'm a man i probably i have sex i, sh- I can teach these kids about sex no mm-hmm. because whatever it is you you don't like whatever it is your feelings in that realm mm-hmm. you probably think it's all right to just see sex as just about you mm-hmm. and now you're teaching a group of boys to also think about sex that way you know it's like it's a perpetual failing system yeah where whereas if you had brought in a sex therapist or someone who actually like knows what they're talking about and we'll talk about it in a very in a way that is acceptable i think there's a lot of growth and stop like because the idea of making people scared about sex it doesn't change anything there's still a lot of people who still have sex in high school there's still a lot of people who still do a lot of things in high school but if you i, I think it's almost a, it's almost a thing of like okay if we actually talk to them properly and take away the fear aspect maybe there was a fear that we would all just start having sex interesting dynamic there but it's one of those things where like i just think there's a lot that has to be done i honestly don't know what it's like now being in primary school in nigeria and, and, and learning about sex but i just know at the time when when i was there i don't i it was it was sh- it was shambolic to say the least i'm not gonna lie i'm very surprised that they even had sex education <laughs> in nigeria because i heard that there was no sex education i heard it was just don't have sex um because for me in here the most we ever did was the talk about your period. Yeah, I never formally learned about sex. Mm-hmm. Like that's that stuff happened on my own. Like that mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. like I learned about it in school. 
and I think it's very problematic because people are learning by trial and error and then I think it also perpetuates things um, where we talk about it perpetuates the misinformation about how sex should be initiated and like issues with consent and things like that yeah um because there's just no knowledge about how it it, what it it is in the first place um but yeah it's so interesting like something that that literally because there is the argument that like sex and love and a lot of these things are literally running fact these these things run a lot of people's lives and a lot run a lot of actions in people's lives Mm -hmm. but it's never talked about like it's absolutely never talked about it's like a trial and error system for something that's supposed to be so fundamental and i think Mm -hmm. it's like it's not talked about in the right places it's talked about (laughs) you're right it's talked about about all the time like any tv show any media outlet that you look at you're gonna see that's fair but it's just we never learned it in the like we're saying the fundamentals yeah we jumped right into the advanced setting i i I, I remember like and I don't know if you, you probably didn't see it this way, but me as a as an immigrant who just came to America, walking on UT's campus and seeing condoms on the street, I was confused. I'm sure you were. No, I was honestly <laughs> no. I, I don't think you actually realize it, but I was actually so. I do I used to move so fast so that no one would see my shadow standing near that table. You're the one. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, actually, you think it's a joke, but it's actually not a joke. Yeah. No, but I'm serious. Like, I actually used to move so fast so that my semblance will not be anywhere close to that table. And it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> it's like, I just think it's one of those things where, like, it's because we just, I was talking to a friend the other day and we were talking about, we were talking about something else, but it would, the idea, the, the, the I, what was so interesting to me was like the conversation ended as you know we don't talk about things like that and it's what we're talking about was we don't talk about you know we don't talk about sex we're Africans that, that was that was literally the conversation was like we're Africans we don't talk about things like that and it's so crazy I just think it's so crazy and obviously I'm not saying that we, we definitely will not fix this issue on this podcast mm-hmm. I agree but I think making it a point to be like hey moving forward because one day we will be parents and even amongst mm-hmm. our friends I think it has to be an honesty about certain things yeah. like certain basic things like yeah. mental health like i'm about to ask bro i was talking to a guy the other day this is like an this is a man and he was telling me about himself and about his life and i think like and with everything going on regardless of everything he was saying i was just like wow you've been through all these things and at no point could he even acknowledge that he had like he's that his mental health could be shaken. Yeah, it's almost a thing as if like regardless of what you're going through, mm-hmm. I'm just unhappy. I'm just unhappy. You know, life is hard. But like, it's almost seen as if agreeing that you have mental health difficulties is almost as if like that's like a submission that you can like you can I can never say that. You know, it's like mm-hmm. and it's a very cultural thing. Like, especially I can speak for Nigerians, especially like. I'm yet to see a Nigerian man my dad's age talk about mental health till today. I haven't seen it. Me and my dad talk about it. Interesting. Like, there's times that when we get into the nitty-gritty of some of the things that he's gone through, he'll say, I was definitely depressed. Wow. Like, you know those times when you're unemployed youth in Nigeria? That's depression. No, see... <laughs> you <laughs> enter depression. No, no, no. Well, like, it is depression. Yeah. But, like, to admit it, yeah. I think that's like a... That's a 
but again, our, my parents, like like your mom too, is a mm-hmm. nurse. You said both of your parents are yeah. nurses. So I think some of those conversations can open up a little bit more because they learned it. But at the same time, there's still this fear of acceptance. Yeah. You know, that denial. Because I remember, because um, going to UT, I feel like that's when I really became aware of mental health. Even my own. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a point in time I was in and out of UHS trying to figure out, because I, I had like this um, pain in my upper abdomen, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was telling the doctor, I said, yeah, girl, I have like something going on radiating to my back. I feel in my neck sometimes. And she was like, oh, I think you have GERD. And I'm like, GERD? You know, <laughs> acid reflux. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't have acid reflux. And so she was like, yeah, just go ahead and like not eat anything spicy for a week and no more um, fried foods. I'm like, okay, okay. And obviously I didn't have GERD. I, I realized like junior year that was pretty much just anxiety. Mm. You know, we're taking all these high stress exams, yeah. high stakes, whatever. And I'm used to have your um, extracurricular um, responsibility. So it was anxiety. And so I feel like even within the Nigerian community, like my parents, I think like there's this fear to admit or be vulnerable and be like, yes. hey man, I'm I'm anxious. I'm actually anxious, mm-hmm. or I'm actually depressed, or even worse, like I have like something even more serious than um, depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds not good. I have something more that needs more attention yeah. than yes. just depression and anxiety. So, I think it's that fear, that culture of silence, and and that's why I was saying earlier. There's there's definitely more. Um, prevalence of those things in our community but we're we're so afraid to just say it we're afraid to go to a therapist and be vulnerable yes. because we're even scared to be vulnerable with ourselves we're scared to be vulnerable with other people that are close to us and that's how you can be literally next to someone going through the same thing but y'all don't know it about each other yeah. so i think even like when you bring up the idea of oh um i'm thinking of going to therapy or this or that i think even the reaction to it sometimes it, i think it comes from a place of like it's almost like say when you talk about therapy or mental health it almost seems like oh wow, it must be the end of the world. No, it's like, if I told you, for example, that I need to go for, for a checkup or I need to go get like, get medicine, you probably wouldn't like think I'm dying. Mm-hmm. But it almost feels like the mention of mental health almost seems like a submission or like a yeah. final, like, oh, it's over. You know? Yeah. Like, even the way we address mental health issues by just saying, oh, he's crazy, mm-hmm. that is such a lazy and unimaginative, just unimaginative way of t- approaching mental health mm-hmm. because... When you actually do think about it and you actually take out your time to actually learn about health and mental health there's like there's so much go like it's it's, de- it's not just depression and anxiety there's so many things that yeah. could be happening but because we don't take out our time to actually even like learn about it you just tag it crazy mm-hmm. and it's i have like it's you're doing it so little justice and i feel like a lot of people could actually even the concept of ptsd mm-hmm. it's not something you just see in the movies it's a real thing you know yeah. and i feel like especially in nigeria a lot of things that people go through i just feel like an honest conversation and an actual like by like, actually pursuing to take care of some of these things i think it does a lot of good you know mm-hmm. but I, I just feel like it's like these are things that i would hope that you know talking about this and listening to this that you know we all like take because I do hope, I do feel like as a community, like, you know, if we can improve on these things, I think it will be better for the future, for the people coming up too, and even for ourselves who are still here, like, you know? Yeah. So, I don't want to end on a too of a heavy <laughs> note, so we're definitely going to, you know, we always ask our guests some type of question or do some type of game, so I'll hand it over to Brian. Okay. All right, people. No more sad talk. <laughs> How I did. 
Um, all right. So to wrap this up, um, Jaco and Zikora, which artist of the African diaspora are you all listening to right now? I'm going first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So picks up her food. I, like, <laughs> I, I knew this question was going to be asked, and I still was like, wait, what? The thing is that right now I'm listening to Thames. Thames. Okay. She really just has my heart. Like, I've been replaying, like, damn near all her songs. Yeah. Um, the ones that are in my top, like, rotation mm-hmm. are Ice Tea. Ice Tea. Um, what else is there? There's Damages. There's. Damages is really um, good. I love Damages. Crazy. I saw the live. You saw it live? The live that you posted. Oh, yeah. And she, like, she, she did, did a live, live version. Like a live oh, version, yeah. okay. The damages okay. is really good. She's yeah. not on social media. I'll send Wait, you said damages and what? So, I see damages, um, crazy things crazy found. Crazy things are found. Okay, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Okay. And then, um, yeah, her, something about her voice, it almost feels like relatable. Like, I, I know I can't like sing, but like when I sing along with her, like it feels like, you know, her voice is carrying me. Like, I know. Something about Thames it. Thames is amazing. It's a vibe. I love it. Shout so, yeah, that's Thames. who I'm listening to right now. Okay. So, there's this one artist that I've been listening to his song this week. Um, his name is Fonier, mm-hmm. and the name of the song is Anything For You. Um, it's just a vibe. Anything For You. Yes, Anything. listen to it. I don't know if y'all are on Apple Music, but just follow that Alt Cruise playlist, and they continuously add more songs mm. to it. And that's where I get all my, you know, those people that they won't promote, you know, the same Whiskey Tams, <laughs> Burner Boy that you get to see, but, like, the ones that are really trying in the background, like, ah. His music is sweet. Odunti. You said Funye? Um, yeah, F O N Y E. Y'all check him out in that mm-hmm. song. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Brian? All right. So, you know, see, I know they were fully instruction like that. So, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one I'm going to give is Egi Degi featuring Theresa Honora. Fino. See, I just feel like that's that song. No, see, there are not many songs for Igbo artists mm-hmm. like that in Nigerian yeah, popular yeah. music. Mm-hmm. It's many Yoruba artists all the time. Yeah. And I have no problem with it because, you know, say me, I like I like music, period. But when we do get mm-hmm. our, like, Igbo artists... Yeah, you know what? I, re- I recently noticed that, um, like, recently, that most of, like, the big pop artists in Nigeria, they are Yoruba. Yeah. But no, that song, that's an Igbo song. No. You know who? song. The Igbo guy that's killing it that I love, Chike. I know you oh mentioned him before, Oh my gosh, Chike, he yeah. is. I love his he, His own Igbo is uh, so sweet. Uh, that's a sweet <laughs> voice. Yeah. And, uh, wait, actually, do you know, my mom was telling me that this song, this Ege Dege song, is actually a remix. That the original song was actually there when she was a kid. Yeah, mm. my, um, yeah, I used to, there's a video of her, of Teresa Nora on YouTube you can watch. They have, like, the whole performance. Wow. Of wow. The second song, though, is actually less so a song, more so, it's even, it's the, actually, there's a song I like on it, but the EP, too. But it's Providence by Ladipo. He actually just dropped an EP. Yeah. Yo. He, I saw a new song that was coming. I listened Yo. to it. Yo. It's not Running. Because Running is good. Running yeah, is the one. It was him and Fireboy. That one came out since. But that one is good too. But, it's, and it's funny because I actually don't really like rap like that. But his mm. intro song called LOTR2, it's his actually a rap. Just, bro. It's interesting. That's he raps cool. all the way through on that LOTR, but it's so good. Bro, Ladipo is so so good, and then also shout out. Um, see, this is dead list. Love essential. That's the one I've heard off of it. Oh, so far. love yeah. essential. You know, I, I like Amari. 
she's her voice is sweet. Oh, her voice is sweet. Yeah. It's like, you know, just there's different flavors of that high voice. You know, you Wait, have who? the simi and then you have Amari. Oh, um, what song do you know with there's her on it? With Sad Santi? Girls love money. Yeah. She was on like she's on a few Santi songs too. Wait, Brian, you have to hit that hook again. I need to hear your voice. I'm dead. <laughs> that was that was good. But yeah, you probably know her. Her voice is just it's really high, really light. But honestly, yeah. the Nigerian artists are killing it. But yeah, see, I know I'm about to give it a third one again. You people said this people should rest. But um Daniel Benson by Buju. That also is a banger. See, I just anything Buju said at this yeah. point is just point there's is, one new yeah. song that I added this week by him. Let me see what's the name of it. Uh, no, it's probably not a new song then. No, that's been out for a while. Testimony. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. But I haven't heard Daniel Benson, so I'm going to add that real quick. Nah, they're really doing their thing. No, I know. Honestly, so, I, I, I'm i just like, so... Like, the music right now is so good. And mm-hmm. I think also, like, you made a very good point that I think I didn't really catch is also how naturally talented that all Nigerian artists because you know I like singing I like singing one but I also like hearing people who can actually sing mm-hmm. um, and I think growing up I remember one of the things that people used to say all the time was Nigerian music is just vibes you know you don't really know what they're saying it's just can I tell you something real quick yeah I don't know why sometimes on Friday evenings I just like to do karaoke you know, I put mm-hmm. Damiduro um, karaoke on here, and I was like, this guy actually said nothing yeah. in this song. <laughs> yeah. I need to pop up, pop Over and over and over again. Imagine a live version of that. Imagine an acoustic version of pop up, pop No, but, but to be honest, the artists right now, like all of them live, sound so insane. Even Thames with her um, lyric, like, lyrics that she actually puts on her songs are yeah. pretty amazing. No, but yeah, loving it, loving it. I'm really loving times right now. Yeah. So, Zikora, do you have any parting words for our guest? Yes. Um, it was really nice being on this show with you guys. Thank you all for inviting me. Or should Aww. I say podcast? Maybe I should say podcast, not show. Yeah, either way. All joint. All joint. Um, Can you difference? But yeah, I just given what we discussed today, I would just encourage everyone and myself included just to you know just really take care of ourselves. Um, because we're only getting older, and as we hold off these responsibilities, it's just, it's just lining, it, lining it up for our older selves. So, That's what's up. yeah. Take care of yourself and have a great weekend or a great week whenever you hear this podcast. Oh, man. You know, we've been having you on the list since we're like, when is the car? When is the car? <laughs> Brian, you left Brian hanging out. Hey, hand- no. <laughs> I just want to let y'all know. I just want to let y'all know his hand up was up for 10 seconds. <laughs> His poor hand was staying up there for 10 seconds. Just <laughs> no love. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for visiting us and being here with us. Brian got up from the table and we haven't stopped recording. Um, but yeah, y'all have a great week. I love y'all. Bye. Y'all take care. <laughs>